Welcome to Managed Carecast, a podcast from the American Journal of Managed Care. Well, hello, and thank you for listening. This is Mandy Bishop. I am the co-host of the Managed Care podcast for the American Journal of Managed Care. With me today is Michael Peterson, who is a pediatric emergency doctor. He also is the innovation lead and the North American Opioid Epidemic Solutions Lead for Accenture Health. Yes, Mike, thanks so much for joining me today. Mandy, it's a pleasure. Um, I'm glad to be here and I'm just uh, really honored to be a part of this. So thank you for inviting me. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. We've been having quite a lively conversation prior to starting this, this podcast. And I want to talk very you know, first about the work that you're doing for the opioid epidemic. I know that this is top of mind for all of us right now. It is definitely hitting all of the newscasts. There, there are a number of, of conferences. The CDC has recently issued its recommendations for how to fight the opioid epidemic. Talk to me about how you see this problem and, and what you think we're doing or not doing to start to address it. Sure. Um, so, you know, it's a, it's a very, um, it's a sad topic. Um, yeah. uh, just my experience, you know, my experience, uh, three years ago was that I've actually coded 17 and 18 year old kids, um, in this, uh, in this horrible uh, epidemic. And it is a, it's a catastrophic epidemic. It's one that the CDC, um, director of the Surgeon General has said this is a public health emergency. And the problem is, uh, much like the AIDS epidemic, um, we've gotten smarter on how to. Um, look at problems and address them, but this uh, opioid epidemic is so complicated that it's it's not it, you can't just use the same template that you did for the AIDS, AIDS epidemic or the right. HIV um, AIDS epidemic. So, um, you know, so coding these kids in telling you know the hardest thing you have to do as a physician is to tell a parent um, who, who are holding each other after you've just worked in, in, in trying to resuscitate a patient for 30, 40 minutes is given up and doctors don't like to give up. And when you look at a parent in the eye and, and just have to tell them that their child didn't make it, that's the hardest part. As a team, um, you know, the heart of a team of, of trying to resuscitate these children. And so what I saw three years ago was I was at the front of the line at the granular level. Fast forward now, um, Accenture um, had seen an opportunity to really try and help um, governments, uh, so at the local level um, at, and at the national level, to help them use um, analytics and an integrative approach to help solve the problem. Now, we know you can't bore the ocean. It's such a multidimensional, complex problem right. that there is no one single technology. Um, so when you look at the stats, as you just described the CDC, um, there's, you know, one in five people are being overprescribed opioids, so that starts the, the sort of process. And Is that one in five of, of all patients who are seen by physicians or one in five patients who already have an opioid prescription? No, so it's one in five patients um, wow. are overprescribed, meaning that we are over-treating pain right. as, a, as, a, as, as a practice. And, you know, um, the, you know the, the problem also is that the Surgeon General mentioned that 38 million people have substance use disorder. And that in itself is part of the substrate of how this begins to be become more of an epidemic. Um, as I kind of go all over the place in this, I, I think really uh, the, the issue is really about what's happening. So 33,000 people a year die of opioid um, overdose. And whether it's heroin, pills, fentanyl, uh, or mix or blend um, any opioid, that's 
quite a lot. So if I tried to describe in one of the talks, the presentations I gave, that if you took a stadium of 33,000 people and just made it disappear visually, right? or there was a 33,000 people died in a terrorist attack, there were people up, you know, the country would be up in arms, but we're slowly kind of getting there, right? So the, the SCDC, there is a concerted effort, you know, there's the NGA, the National Government Association came out with a template in 2016. Um, there are some leaderships, there's states uh, that are taking the lead in really trying to come up with really uh, an integrative solution as well, uh, but it, it, they can't do it alone. And so that's kind of where, uh, where, where we see um, this problem and, and, and it's devastating. So having been at the front lines, now I get to look at it at a 30,000 foot level and I get to be, you know, the one thing Accenture does well is we consult, um, we take what we know. And so we are taking what we know in analytics and right. what we know in, um, in, in strategy and in consulting and we're blending those, those great um, resources to help states or health plans who don't have those resources, those technologies, or the, the, the sort of, uh, when I say resources, like FTEs, to actually look at the data. They all sit on this data, but they don't know really how to um, even process it sometimes. They, they have some leads, right? They, they go, oh, yeah, we think we can help here, and we've done A, B, and C, some needle exchanges. But it's all small steps, and we're trying to help them get it some insightful data. So uh, that's kind of uh, where we're trying to help. Yeah, I think that in, in considering the analytics opportunities to combat the opioid epidemic, I think being able to break through the data silos that each one of these entities that you talked about would have, right? So the states are going to have Medicaid data, mm -hmm. right? The states yep. are going to have public health data. They're going to have registry, disease registry data, but they're not necessarily going to have all of the information about hospital admissions. They're not going to have outpatient data. They're not going to have the claims data from commercial health plans. So each one of those entities that you just talked about has their own data silos and you could look at prescribing patterns you know mm -hmm. at the medicare level you could look at prescribing yeah. patterns at the medicaid level you could look at prescribing patterns within the commercial health plans but to be able to take kind of that uh horizontal view across all of those data silos is something that i think is very very difficult for those entities to do on their own but yet very necessary in order to understand that both the prescribing patterns the utilization patterns the proliferation patterns so how the drugs are being transferred from you know, from an individual who receives them, you know, whether they themselves are taking this or whether it's proliferating out into the community through a distribution network, you know, it requires a completely different approach to analytics and, and a different approach to being able to curate those data sources. How are you, how are you thinking about, you know, addressing that kind of yeah. siloed, siloed problem? So, you know, uh, that's a great question. And, and I think one thing just kind of taken also looking at that granular level is that, um, it, this disease, this epidemic is impacting everyone, right? Yes. There's no, no one is inoculated, inoculated from uh, this, this, this horrible problem. So it, it doesn't, it doesn't um, no one's immune, right? So you have uh, no, it's not socioeconomically specific. It, it, it is affecting everybody. Right. Um, and, and, and I bet you could probably get one to two degrees of separation of someone who knows someone who has um, a substance abuse problem or had an addiction to opioids or is going through it. And that's what's sad. It's affecting all Americans. Um, the other piece, too, is that it's costing the United States from a productivity uh, standpoint, not just at the person level, the patient level, the people affected, but it affects uh, kind of getting to where you're talking about these silos. We're, we in Accenture are looking at how it doesn't just affect, let's just you know, take an example, a mom of three who um, had a C-section, gets overprescribed some opioids, realizes that she 
is addicted, the doctor cuts her off, then she goes to um, black market pain pills, can't afford them, then goes to black tar heroin or some sort of um, you know, illegal route. Right. Well, she then impacts the healthcare system at the Medicaid level or the private insurance level. Then she either gets incarcerated, so that costs the state money, then the children go into foster care, and then they go into Medicaid because that's how most foster cares could get their care. Um, and, and so what you're looking at is not just a silo that touches, uh, you know, I, the way I like to describe um, it to anyone is that think of a Venn diagram of the single patient. You've got different layers of each entity and in the middle, it just costs the state billions of dollars. And, and, and just from a, from a physician standpoint, it's really costing the patient. And, and that's right. where really where I care the most. So back to your question is that we look at helping states connect those silos, helping take the medical examiner's data, taking the, taking the hospital data, taking the claims data from the Medicaid. And believe it or not, there's not a lot of interoperability or sharing between <laughs> even, I mean, shocker, right? I believe it. I believe I mean, it. <laughs> what of, of between the MCOs, commercial and Medicaid, with states, right? So states do have a lot of generalized data but they don't have a true insight to what, they're, what, what the MCOs might be having, uh, what, might, what they might be sitting on. The other thing to consider is, especially in the opioid epidemic, 911 um, emergency responders, so police who now have naloxone and uh, a fire department and or EMS, paramedics, when they go out, that data, there's no real connectivity to like taking the, the patients that they didn't bring to the hospital, right? So right. meaning people have the right of refusal. Thanks for the naloxone. I'm good. I'll go in later. Um, and, and, and so connecting that to the states. And the other thing, too, is um, there's a really unique way to look at socioeconomic data. So what, what we want to do is connect all of those pieces and put them together and be able to tell a state, look, in zip code 786572, you have um, 3.1 more time, uh, you know, sort of risk score the uh, predictability and, and trying to use an analytics to sort of predict and help states to say you will have more moms in this zip code have neonatal abstinence syndrome which is costing 1.2 billion dollars across the United States and here's what here's a profile of that mom and, and the analogy that I'm going to use is um, and it sounds big brotherish but it's kind of technically not because you can do it with anonymized or de-identified information right is that you Mandy me, me Mike Peterson when I go shopping that credit card company already knows who I am. They know my yeah. buying habits. They know what I like. They know when I, they know when I'm likely to buy something uh, as it results to some temporal holiday or um, birthday, right? They know that I don't fly to Budapest and that I actually really stick to five zip codes when I go travel. Right. Taking that information and using what I would, you know, what we would call um, is sort of a um, patient genomics. Uh, we have what's called physician genomics, which we can literally predict how physicians practice and comparing them to other physicians. Now, we, we look at that using the analytics, and I think that that is, can, be, can be applied to the patients. And so stopping the, the, the epidemic in small pieces, the low-hanging fruit is really kind of uh, what we're, we're trying to look at. It's, right. a, it's, it's a really uh, unique opportunity, and um, we're working with some really good clients right now to start. It's early days for us, but we're definitely um, engaged.
Absolutely. And I think that kind of the multi-generational impact and looking at neonatology and looking at, you know, look, looking at the impact on low birth weight on, you know, having, having pediatric challenges. I, I think that's, that's an amazing place to focus yes. to be able to prevent that next generation of, you know, of challenge yeah. uh, around this epidemic. Um, we talked a little bit before about the individual motivations. And so, you know, for us to understand the patterns for you know, the, the, the opioid epidemic spread and, and understanding utilization patterns is one thing, but being able to prevent or being able to, you know, pr to prevent the epidemic from spreading or to prevent an individual from taking either a pill or falling down the rabbit hole of actual, you know, actual heroin use, you know, each individual is going to have a different motivation, yeah. right? So is yeah. that, how could we think about that? How can we identify that or start to work with that really truly patient-centered construct in, in approaching the opioid epidemic? I'm glad you, uh, you're asking that because I think one of the things we have to do is remove the stigma of addiction. Yes. And so uh, Patrick Kennedy presented at the Heroin Summit and he said, look, you know, We've got to get the, we've got to get rid of the stigma that this is a bad thing and, and recognize that there is a disease that there are receptors in the brain for some people that are just very sensitive to um, any sort of alcohol or even um, uh, opioids. The other thing is as a clinician, um, we as a profession have, have we're very compassionate right so when we have people come into the ER we're not like oh it's a drug seeker and we need to treat them differently but at the same time we have to really try to understand who they are and this is what you're asking and and I, and I think what you have to do is understand a couple of things. One, there is a socioeconomic um, prevalence uh, to opioid addiction in specific regions of the country. And one would be the Appalachian area, right? Right. And I spoke to an, ex a, an expert in one of the insurance plans who said, look, I'm from there. And until you get people out of the socioeconomic rut, it's going to happen generation after generation after generation. And, 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 and that's, that's true for that specific region. In other regions, it might be other, you know, if you look at uh, the East Coast, it's not technically the same reason why people use drugs. The understanding addiction and, and how that it's, it's a chronic issue, understanding that it's a disease process that can't be fixed. It's a very relapsable disease or a disease with high relapse, right? So pulling someone into therapy and paying for the best 30-day treatment might actually be worse than them continuing to do drugs. And the reason why is you pull them, you make them to detox, then they come out, and because it's such a high relapsable uh, disease, um, what you've done is you essentially have made made it harder for them to kind of stay successful. Disrupted their life processes. You disrupt their, but yeah. the, 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 the healthcare plans, all of us as a country, the, the, the model of just a, a short-term acute Band-Aid doesn't fix the chronic issues, right? Right. And so what we're also seeing too is that we have to look from a longitudinal standpoint retrospectively, what happened in their childhood? Um, and, and the way to make the intervention is that there's a lot of pre, uh, you know, adolescent trauma, physical, emotional, sexual abuse, uh, even life changes like a divorce that goes ugly. Things like that increase a child um, as they go into adulthood, risk of trying drugs or drinking or going into these behaviors. And so we're seeing that the experts have stated that early intervention is key. So Understanding the patient at the granular level and, and, and understanding why they make those decisions mm -hmm. and helping them to understand that is, is really the key. So the, the, the idea that we know, or at least my experience is, is saying, is that you can't do it by yourself. So as a physician, an ER doctor, I can't 
help the mom who has a teenager who's addicted to drugs, once they leave the ER, I may never see them again. They may go to five other ERs, but you have to connect them to, and I always, and I think we've said the same hymns, but I think and strongly believe that the, the person who's going to save the earth is a social worker. Right? Absolutely. Or a life coach of some sort. Um, and they have them in, in, the, in the opioid world, coaches um, who might be a social worker, somebody trained to help. Uh, and it's sort of using that sponsorship AA model, NA model. And what, what I mean by that is that the social worker is going to connect. Uh, they're in the community, number one. They understand these patients and these patients trust them just much like a, a coach um, for diabetes right. um, who helps them take their drugs and helps them to get them to the appointment. You need that model. So it's not N equals one that's going to solve this. It's going to have to be a collaborative um, effort. And, and Accenture recognizes that you have to partner with many groups to solve this. And back to what you were saying, you know, we, we are looking at the low-hanging fruit. So one area is the neonatal, neonatal abstinence syndrome, a devastating um, uh, you know, process for kids, but a very costly um, for the parents who have to right. stay in a NICU for an average of 23 days for wow. the Medicaid system that costs an average of 93000 to 200000 per patient. Um, and it, the thing is, it's, it's actually preventable. Moms don't intentionally want to hurt their children. Right. They just don't understand. So one thing they do understand, once a mom knows she's pregnant, no matter what addictive um, morbidity, pre, you know, what addictive, uh, addictive uh, behavior or diagnosis they have, right. um, they, they are going to stop it or try to stop it or seek help. Um, and we, we know this from data and evidence base that tells us, you know, drinking is bad. So when a mom, you know, if they, a mother finds out she's pregnant, she stops drinking. Right. Or they try to, or they get help to try and stop, or they stop smoking. Now that's not everybody, but we're talking about most on gen in general. The 80% rule. The 80% rule. So not right. everybody tries to harm their baby. And so the, the opportunity is for neonatal abstinence syndrome is to really go and educate the moms in those areas who are susceptible to addiction. The number one risk factor for a mom with neonatal abstinence syndrome is a mom who's already had a baby with neonatal abstinence syndrome. So that's the biggest risk factor. So how do you stop that mom from having another baby with the same problem? With the same problem, right. So, so that's where the low-hanging fruit is. And how do you help the states, the private insurance companies, the commercials, and uh, the MCOs, managed care organizations, um, how do you help them understand this problem? And that's where we're, we're working in. Awesome. Giving them you know, I'm an evidence-based trained physician. That means I use data to help guide my decisions and using what works best. So uh, head injury is always the best one, right? Does my kid need a CT scan? We want to use that same model of evidence-based. What I'm hearing is it sounds like even beyond being able to, to curate all of this data across all of these multiple silos and being able to extrapolate the information that's going to be meaningful, there's a deeper need here to address gaps in the partnerships that exist, in the reimbursement methodologies that exist, right? So to be able to most effectively not just deliver education, but ongoing support in these communities where this is, you know, becoming more and more prevalent. As you said, it's, it's everywhere. So it's, you know, this, the, the opioid epidemic has reached, you know, all social levels, all this is, this is not an isolated problem. But there are pockets where it seems to be, um, you know, it, it is an epidemic. There are pockets where there are entire neighborhoods that are consumed with, you know, with this challenge. 
So being able to address the resourcing issue, I, I think, would be also helped by analytics, being able to understand where those gaps exist in the partnerships, where those gaps exist in the social work resources, the community health resources, the public health resources who are available to begin to address this problem. And I think it is going to take um, a very deep change in the way we view addiction as, as a disease state and as a chronic disease state, and that we begin to understand and extrapolate from an analytic standpoint, the cost to treat the addiction with these deep partnerships and with the establishment and or expansion of the types of education and support, you know, resources that exist in these communities versus the punitive, you know, the, the, the punitive aspects, right? What, what happens when we penalize these things? So it's, I, it will be interesting to see what happens in the next couple of years about that paradigm. That would truly be a paradigm shift. We have to treat it as a disease and we have to invest in the maintenance and the reversal of the disease, you know, the cure that it's not cured, but you know, to be able to manage that disease effectively versus, you know, penalizing disease sufferers. You and I could talk probably for a week. What I've learned in, um, in, in being in this space is that it is a multidimensional problem. So one mental health, has to be supported, and yes. there has to be a paradigm shift on how we treat that as a society, right? Um, and that's high level, and agnostic view from, from my standpoint. The other piece is using uh, the data to help support that, right? Which we probably would agree that that's gonna exist, it, just anecdotally, but I like to let the data tell me what's, where the story goes. Right. The other piece is, um, and, and, and I say this as a physician, and, but not speaking for all physicians, is that we as a profession, um, connected with um, the pharmaceutical companies, connected with um, uh, the pharmacies, you know, there, there was an overprescription of, of pain pills as um, and it is sort of a marketing strategy, uh, or not even that. When I was in medical school, we were taught to treat pain. It's a fifth vital sign. And, you know, that philosophy of under, and, and being as physicians not really looking at, okay, really, is this really a safe drug to give? And is it really not addictive? We didn't, you know, we have to own that. And uh, the AMA, uh, Dr. Harris from the AMA said, look, yes, physicians are responsible. We're also responsible for the downturn in the number of prescriptions. Like, I know for a fact that in our emergency department, we saw the drug seeking coming in. We saw the addiction coming in. But we right. fix it within ourselves um, on how we chose to, to address the problem for the, for the patient. Look, we're going to treat your pain, but there may not be a narcotic involved in your pain management. Or right. we're going to refer you to someone who can help you. It's that level that has to start. And it is a, it, there's sort of a grassroots, but also the states aren't, I mean, they're committed. If you take states like Kentucky, West Virginia, Virginia, even Massachusetts, there, there's, some, there's leadership out there uh, across all states want to fix this. They recognize it's a devastating uh, societal issue. Um, there's, it, it, but you know, it's not just going to be money to fix it, and it's not going to be just technology, and it's not going to be a Rosetta, you know, somebody with a Da Vinci code that's going to fix it. It's going to be a collaborative effort. I'm, I'm thinking realistic goals. Right. I would love for the statistics of the, that annual death rate of 33,000 just to be stopped instead of rising or continuing. If we can find a way to just bring down neonatal abstinence syndrome even 10%, 5%, and work start there, right. then I think 
we're, we're, it tells me that, the, you know, because you have to, so, you know, it's saying you, we mitigate, we manage, but you have to measure, right? Yes. We have to measure, did our intervention work and looking forward. So it's using those models. Um, and, and I think people are listening. It is a hot topic, but what we have to do is keep the momentum going so that people just don't forget about it and say, oh yeah, you know, that five years ago, remember there was a big opioid epidemic and people were interested, but how do you activate? How do you activate people at the, at the local level, state and federal, but also at the individual level? How do you get to that person and say, I hear your problem. There's no judgment. We're going to help you. You know, they want help. No one right. chooses to be addicted. Right. You know, they just become addicted and then they hide it. So I think that's really, uh, that's, that's the challenge. It's, it's a really, it, but it's, it's a, when I say exciting, I mean it in the terms that I really feel like um, I wake up every day knowing that what work we're trying to do is going to help someone. And, and, and I, I'm used to helping people at the transactional, you know, 2 a.m. mom with a teething baby level. But now right. I get to help. I think our, we know that our ideas are, is going to help impact, you know, millions. It's wow. kind of our big hope. Those are, those are really great goals. So what I want to do is follow up with you on progress towards those great goals. Absolutely. And yeah, in, in a year, let's see, how are we doing, right? We're trying to bring down that 33,000 per year death rate. I think yeah. these are the deaths of despair, right? This is the, yes. what we're seeing as the, the rising cost of the deaths of despair. And then, you know, bringing down that the instance of neonatal abstinence. Let's see if we are able to, you know, to effectively reduce that, that rate and uh, see what happens a year from now. So I'm definitely going to be following up with you next year would, to see how it's going. It would be my pleasure, absolutely. Excellent, well this has been really wonderful, Mike. Thank you so much for joining me today. Mandy, uh, the pleasure's all mine. I'm so glad that we got a chance to talk and I really appreciate the opportunity to, to be on your podcast. Thank, thank you, you so, so much. much. Well, thank you all so right. much for listening. This has been another edition of the Managed Care Podcast for the American Journal of Managed Care.